If you would please turn in 1 Kings, to 1 Kings chapter 21, 1 Kings chapter 21. If you're reading from the ESV, it's going to have Naboth's vineyard printed over uh, the pericope of the story we're going to be looking at this morning. By way of context, it is the 9th century B.C., Spiritual apostasy and darkness within the visible church are rampant, and the prophet Elijah is now ministering in the name of the covenant Lord Yahweh to his people. And just to kind of give us a little window into how wicked the days were, we have this this story about a vineyard and a godly man who refused to compromise the word of God and sell his vineyard to the wicked King Ahab. Let's listen now to the reading of God's holy word. I'll read the entirety of the chapter through verse 29 of Naboth's vineyard. 1 Kings, again, chapter 21, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of the living God. Now, Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard in Jezreel, beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or, if it seems good to you, I will give you its value and its money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he has said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down in his bed and turned away his face and would not eat food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if you please, if it please you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. And she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people. And set two worthless men or scoundrels opposite him. And let them bring a charge against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. And the men of the city, the elders and the leaders who lived in his city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them. As it was written in the letters that she had sent to them, they proclaimed a fast and sent Naboth at the head of the people. And the two worthless men came in and sat opposite him. And the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. They sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned. He is dead. 
As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money. For Naboth is not alive but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. Then the word of the Lord Yahweh came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord Yahweh, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord Yahweh, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall shall dogs lick up your own blood. Abath said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord Yahweh. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and cut off from Ahab every male, bond, or free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, for the anger to which you have provoked me because, and because you have made Israel to sin." And of Jezebel, the Lord also said, The dogs shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat. And anyone of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. And now we have this little parenthetical section in verses 25 to 26. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord Yahweh, like Ahab, whom Jezebel his wife incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols, as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord Yahweh cast out before the people of Israel. And when Ahab heard those words, the words of Elijah, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord Yahweh came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days. But in his son's days, I will bring disaster upon his house. Thus far the reading of God's holy and infallible word. May he add his eternal blessing to it. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we come seeking your face, asking you who breathed out these words would now illuminate them for us as we sit under them and hear them expounded. May I be faithful, clear, cogent, and courageous to all that you have revealed in Jesus Christ. Bless my poor efforts, we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Saints, in Exodus 34, the living God reveals himself as patient, as gracious, a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And yet, he will not leave the guilty unpunished. You see, a day of judgment is coming for all of human history. 
whether you like it or not, it is coming. And it has come already for the God-man and for those who are found in the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. The judgment day has already occurred for you, beloved, for there is no condemnation for you who are now found in Jesus Christ. But the day is coming. You see, Proverbs 29.1 says, A man who hardens his neck after much reproof will be suddenly cut off, broken, beyond remedy. He's stiff-necked. This is the person who hears the word of God, but refuses to repent and to believe. You see, when you sit under the word, the word of God is either going to harden your heart because you refuse to heed the word. You're hearers only. Or the word of God will soften your heart and You'll believe and repent and trust in Jesus Christ more and more and be conformed more and more into His image. You see, the God, the God, the living God says the person, after being repeatedly rebuked, this is the one who hardens himself under the word, will find himself without remedy, with beyond remedy. Proverbs 6, 12 through 15, a worthless person, a wicked man goes about with crooked speech. He winks with his eyes. He signals with his feet. He points with his fingers. With a perverted heart, he devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken and he will be beyond remedy. It's sobering when we think about this. That it, It's a dangerous thing to listen to the Word of God if you're not going to obey the Word of God, if you're not going to heed the Word of God. You see, saints, this is exactly where Ahab and Jezebel find themselves in 1 Kings. They are beyond remedy. They're beyond hope. You see, the text before us this morning is all about God's justice. Justice for those who have been treated unjustly and justice for those who falsely believe that God is not going to judge sin. Like those in 2 Peter chapter 3, 5-7. through seven, The scoffers. You must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? Of Jesus of Nazareth. Where is it? He promised... But everything goes on as it's had since the beginning of creation. But Peter says they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word the heavens came into being and earth was formed out of water. And by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By that same word the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. The destruction of those who repeatedly hear the word of God and do not heed the word of God. So this morning, let's quickly look at two points. Christian, in this world, you can expect to suffer injustice. Christian, you can expect to suffer injustice in this world. You should expect it. And not be surprised by it when it happens. And secondly, Christian, 
God's justice will eventually be served. Now, there might be a delay, a little interlude, so to speak. And that's what's happened between the first and second advents. Judgment has not come. That's why the scoffer rises up and he raises his voice. The savant, the, right? The wise of this age, where is this coming? They forget, as Peter says. So first, let's look first at in this world, you can expect to suffer injustice. Now, this story starts very ordinary, right? It's the land deal, right? They say in real estate, location is everything, right? Location, location, location. Well, Naboth had the misfortune of having Mr. and Mrs. Ahab next door to his home in Jezreel, about 24 miles northeast of Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom. Now, some of us think we had bad neighbors, right? You're, you didn't have Mr. and Mrs. Ahab as neighbors. That's neighbors, right? So one day, while Ahab's perusing his palace grounds, he notices and takes a fancy to his neighbor's vineyard. This man is named Naboth. You know, Naboth's vineyard would sure make a nice vegetable garden. Man, I could, I could plant some collard greens there and some butter beans and corn. Cucumbers, tomatoes, man, maybe there's some Hanover soil up there in Jezreel. I don't know. So the king decides to make Naboth an offer he couldn't refuse. Verse 2, give me your vineyard and I will give you, I will have it for a vegetable garden because it is near my house. I'll give you a better vineyard, a larger one, a more optimal place. And if that doesn't serve you, I'll give you not only what it's worth, but another 300 grand just to make it worth your while. Now, on the face, it seems like a fair offer, if not generous, right? Naboth's going to come out making a little bit of money off of this transaction, right? He's going to make some money because of his real estate venture. Ahab gets his vineyard, and Naboth, Naboth gets rich. But Naboth is one of the 7,000 there in Israel who've not bow the knee to Baal. Ahab doesn't understand that. He refuses to sell. You see, he decides to serve God rather than money. Money's not the bottom line for Naboth. Verse 3, he said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. Thanks, but no thanks, your majesty. I'm going to keep the inheritance that my fathers have given me. I'm not selling. But why? Doesn't Naboth want to get rich? Don't you want to get rich? Beloved, Naboth understands that even he could gain the whole world, all the riches in the world, all the gold, all the silver, all the crypto you can imagine, the Bitcoin, if you had it all, but you lose your soul, what do you have? You have nothing. You see, Naboth knew his Bible. He knew Leviticus 25, 23. He knew Numbers 36, verse 7. He knew that God had forbidden the children of Israel from selling their land, to, from selling the inheritance that had been given to them. Because first and foremost, the property wasn't theirs. The Word of God tells us that the land is my land, 
and you are my children. You're tenant farmers, as it were. The land is on loan to you. You're just to steward it. Right? It's not theirs to sell. You see, beloved, Naboth refused because he understood that obeying the law of God was more important than making a few bucks. He would not disobey his God, nor would he dishonor his ancestors by selling a vineyard. And in so doing, he and his family paid the ultimate price for their obedience to Jesus Christ. Ahab not getting his way, what does he do? He does what every two-year-old does. He goes home. I'm not going to eat. They're pouting. You can just see it, right? Every two-year-old. We, we know what two-year-olds do. He's pouting. He runs to his room. Won't eat. He's all sullen. He's vexed. He's angry. He's been thwarted. And I'm the king. Doesn't Naboth understand who I am? Right? Well, Jezebel knows something's wrong. Clearly, she wears the crown in the family. But we know what? We, she also wears what? the pants she wears the pants in this family so she goes into the bedroom she sees the king lying there and asks him why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food Ahab repeats and tells her the story Jezebel's heard enough verse 7 she asked Ahab do you now govern Israel you can imagine Ahab well no not really I don't evidently not Jezebel's thinking to herself, well, you know, when my daddy back there in Phoenicia and Sidon, you know, it was eminent domain. If the king wanted it, the king just took it. We don't ask, right? We don't ask for permission. We just take it. King's word is law. At least in Sidon, she knew how to do that for Ahab. Notice she tells him to get out of the way, and she says, I'll handle it. So Ahab knowing the kind of woman he's married, gets up, orders lunch, and the wheels of evil begin to grind. As Jezebel sets out using Ahab's letterhead, sends it to the elders and the, uh, the leaders of the city. She instructs them in verse 9, proclaim a fast, Set Naboth at the head of the table in the position of honor and hire out two worthless scoundrels to accuse him of cursing God and the king. Then take him outside the city. Right? Because we got to obey the law of Moses here. We got to have witnesses. We got to prove that he's committed blasphemy. All on the auspices. Now, this is the visible church. Don't forget this. Right? Don't forget that. It's not the world out there. This is happening in the church. Take him outside the city and stone him. Without any objection, notice the elders and the leaders, what do they do? They comply, right? Yes, ma'am. Because they know what happens to those who would stand opposed to Jezebel, like clockwork. You think to yourself, where are the good men in Israel? Where's the protest? Where's the objection? Now, it's said that William Burke says this, but evil triumphs when good men do nothing. We're the men with guts. We have any men with guts here? 
Any man who would stand opposed to the wicked Queen Jezebel and Ahab? Word comes to Jezebel that Naboth has been exterminated. Ahab can now claim the vineyard. And I would note in 2 Kings chapter 9, 26, that we're told there that Naboth's sons were also liquidated. Makes sense, right? Can't have children because they have the inheritance. You've got to exterminate, liquidate everybody. Beloved, what you have here is pure evil, pure injustice. And there on the ground in Naboth's vineyard, you have his blood crying for justice, don't you? When will justice be served for Ahab? And Jezebel. Right? It's all done, again, with the religious veneer. But if only Naboth would have compromised his faith. But he would not. And as a result, it cost Naboth and his family their lives. And now their blood cries for justice. Christian, you should expect to suffer injustice in this world. And be not surprised by it. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Mark 9, be on your guard for they will deliver you over to councils, Jesus told his disciples. And you will be beaten in synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. Here in the West, we've been graciously spared. Why? I'm not actually sure. We found a little, in, history, in the history of the West, in Christendom, we found a little niche, a little spot where religious freedom is prized and treasured and respected. It has thus far, anyway. Are things are changing? I think so. Yet in China and North Korea and many Muslim countries, persecution, sufferings, their lot as it was for the first century church. First, rather, Philippians 1, 29. It's granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe, but suffer for his name. wonder if we're not suffering because we're just little silent little moles just crawled on the ground, just kind of keep our heads down, not want to stand up for wickedness and injustice. Let me just add that such persecution and injustice is often inflicted by worldly governments. Now, I'm not here to speak ill of the United States, this democratic republic, constitutional republic that we have. I'm not here to, to beat up on the United States. I'm not. I wore the uniform. I love this country. But this country is not my Lord. It's not my God. But you can expect injustice oftentimes being inflicted by worldly governments. Let me remind you of the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 3. Or the Persian Empire. Or the Babylonian Empire. Or Revelations 2 and 3, the Roman Empire. Right? When, when Christians were dipped in tar and then set ablaze for the amusement of Caesar as he rode his chariots through the streets of Rome. You see, while God has ordained the civil magistrate to promote justice and prosecute evil, Romans 13, 
It's also true historically governments have repeatedly made themselves adversaries to God's people. John MacArthur tells the story of two young female college students in Wisconsin who advertised in the local paper there in this town in Wisconsin for a third roommate to share their private residence. Not a public residence, a private residence. They rejected an application of a woman who informed them that she was a lesbian. The woman contacted the government authorities. And the Wisconsin Human Rights Commission ordered the two young women to pay the applicant that they refused, the lesbian young woman, $1,500 for causing distress to her. The commission also ordered the two young women to write a public letter of apology and require them to attend a re-education class taught by homosexuals. This is the world we live in. This is reality. This is what is happening today. Beloved, in this world, the world we live today, we're called to submit to those who rule over us. But there are times when we must obey God rather than men. Are we willing to pay the price? Are we willing to stand in the gap? Second point. God's justice will eventually be served. God's justice will eventually be served. Now, it appears at first it's game over, right? Jezebel's patting herself on the back. She's feeling pretty good. Ahab's making his way down into the vineyard of Naboth. She orders Ahab in verse 15, arise, it's an order. He knows who's in charge. Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money. For Naboth is not alive but dead. Ahab arose and went down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. Now, isn't it interesting? Don't, don't, don't take a look at this. This is a little a sidebar here. Isn't it interesting that the Holy Spirit keeps reminding us whose vineyard it is? Over and over again, he's hitting the nail into the wall. It's Naboth, the Jezreelite. It's his vineyard. It's his blood that's crying for justice in that vineyard. But it looks by all outward appearances as though the perfect crime has been committed. Then one bright sunny day when Ahab is working the soil in Naboth the Jezreelite's vineyard, planting and thinking about the bumper crop next fall, suddenly when it's least expected, what shows up? Who shows up? the prophet, the word of God. Elijah comes armed with the word to disturb the false peace of the ungodly Ahab. The word of God comes to Elijah, verse 17, Arise, go meet Ahab. You will find him in Naboth's vineyard where he's gone to take possession of it. 
Because of the evil Ahab has done, say to him, Thus says Yahweh, in the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick up your blood. You see, justice will eventually be served. Ahab and Jezebel of the world, the Jezebels of the world, will reap what they sow. And Ahab and Jezebel were deceived into thinking that they were in the clear. But they forgot that God sees, that God knows, that God judges. Proverbs 15, 3, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, observing the wicked and the good. Now we love the, the great doctrine of God's omniscience, that he's everywhere present, right? omnipresent and sees all things, omniscient, knowing all things. But when you're on the other end of that doctrine, when you're outside of Jesus Christ, that's not a comfort. That's a great terror. We see Ahab and Jezebel's hands, they're covered with the blood of Naboth, right? Like Macbeth, no amount of water or soap could wash it off. But their sin and their God has found them out. And Ahab is none too happy. He sees Elijah, verse 20, have you found me, O my enemy? Right? He was called the troubler earlier, the destroyer. Now he's called the enemy. Elijah answers, I found you because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Elijah goes on to tell Ahab that God is going to destroy his royal house and dynasty because he has provoked the Lord to anger and caused Israel to sin. Saints, Ahab will suffer the same fate as Jeroboam and Baasha. Jezebel too will not escape the judgment of God. It will fall on her. In 2 Kings 9, 30-37, we find the Word of God coming to pass exactly, exactly the way God prophesies here. Jehu, God's instrument of judgment, had all of Ahab's descendants killed. It's also there in 2 Kings 9, 30-37, we find Jezebel thrown from an upstairs window out of her lovely home there in Jezreel. And you have to think, do you think she was thrown into the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, whose blood was crying for justice? And there we're told that the dogs consumed her. It's graphic, isn't it? You know, you don't read this one in the children's little children Bible stories, right? You don't paint this mural in the nursery, right? Oh, yeah, here's where the dogs are eating Jezebel. God's a consuming fire. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Let Ahab exhibit A and Jezebel exhibit B. Speak. And may we have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Now this passage, while causing sinners to tremble and look for shelter from God's wrath, it also serves, does it not, to give comfort to Christians around the world who are being persecuted and are suffering for their faith. Now you might not think about God like this. That's only because your mind has not been transformed by the renewal of it, by the Word of God. God has promised to avenge the blood of His saints. Precious is the death of one of His saints before Him. But those who would snuff out 
one of his saints will find God to be their adversary. You think when the Christians there in Nigeria who are suffering under Boko Haram, whose wives and daughters are taken, trafficked, married up to their political prisoners, to the Muslims who's kidnapped them, do you think they love to hear the fact that the God of the Bible is a God of justice? You better believe it. Justice will be served. (laughs) It will be. Every sin that anyone who's ever committed is going to be paid. Either your sin will be paid by God's substitute, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom he freely offered up for us all, or you will pay for your own sins. Blood will be required, your own, or you will find rest and refuge in the blood of Jesus. You see, justice will prevail. Ralph Davis says, while we may wonder about the timing of God's justice, right, like those martyrs under the throne there in Romans, Revelation 6, 10, who cry out 24-7, 365, how long, O Lord, O sovereign Lord, holy and true until you avenge our blood. Right now, they're, they're martyrs under the throne of God crying for justice. How long, O Lord? Now, you might not like that. That might not sit well with you. But kiss the Son, beloved. Kiss the Word of God. Believe the Word of God. Let God be true and every man a liar. Because every man is a liar and God is true. While we may wonder about the timing of the justice of God, the truth of 1 Kings 21 remains an immense comfort. The Naboth episode, we can say, is no guarantee of immunity for the Christian, only of justice, and that not necessarily tomorrow. But justice will come. For 1 Kings 21 is a preview of 2 Thessalonians 1, 6-7. Beloved, God has promised He will intervene to bring justice to His wrong people. He will avenge their blood on that last day. You see, God avenges the blood of Naboth's of his kingdom. He knows, he sees, and God will judge the wicked in his timing. Well, that leads us with this, and I must stop here. It's so much, so rich. I'm trying to stay close to my notes because I, I can get a field. What are we to make of verses 27 to 29, though? Right? Ahab there is tearing his clothes. He's fasting. He's putting on sackcloth. Now, that's surprising, isn't it? What what is going on here? God speaks to Elijah, asking Elijah, verse 29, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring disaster in his days, but in his son's days I will bring disaster upon his house. Let me just say this, judgment is delayed, but it's not canceled. That's what's going on here. I truly believe that. Did Ahab manifest true repentance? I don't believe so. There's no, nothing in the text that would tell us that he made restoration, restitution for what he did. It's doubtful that this is true. And saints, I'm not sure what to make of it. Though really, in the end, I'm not sure what to make of Ahab's repentance. And I'm not sure that should be our obsession. 
I believe our main focus here should be God's mercy in granting a stay of execution. Why? Why would Yahweh do this? Beloved, I don't think we can understand God's mercy here to Ahab any more than we can understand the mercy of God that he has shown to us in Jesus Christ at the cross. As the hymn writer says, why was I made to hear thy voice and enter in while there's room? When thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come, why was I invited? Why was I effectually called under the gospel, united to Jesus Christ by faith, a faith not originating with myself, a faith given by God? Why? Why did he regenerate my heart? You see, oh, the wonder, the mystery, the glory. Beloved, are we so deceived to think that we deserve mercy any more than Ahab? Do you think you're better than Ahab this morning? You're not better than Ahab. I'm not better than Ahab. My elders aren't better than Ahab. There's only one better than Ahab. And his blood as well was shed on the account of two witnesses for being a blasphemer. And his blood rests at the bottom of that cross where he paid for your sins. You see, there's one better than Naboth, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Naboth's blood cries for justice. Jesus' blood, the one better than Naboth, cries, forgive them, Lord. Forgive them. Forgive them. For they know not what they do. Oh, beloved, today is the day of salvation. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll leave you with this, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Just a continuation of where I began this morning in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 5 to 7. Right, the scoffer comes, he doubts this coming, he thinks he can go about his merry way, eating, drinking, and be merry, right? Eat, drink, today, tomorrow we die, big deal. Get the most toys while you can. Get the most experiences while you can. Peter says, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the day, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So the question is for you today, have you come to repentance? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ and him alone for your salvation? No other hope, no other plea, but that thy blood was shed for thee. You see, that's, that's all I have is the blood of Jesus. It's my only boast. Is it your only boast today? The only pedigree, the only resume that you're looking to to commend you to God? I pray it is. If it's not, you need to repent. Turn from your sins and trust Jesus Christ, whose blood speaks a better word. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your holiness. We thank you for the justice of God.
We thank you for the wrath of God, that you are a God who will render justice on the final day when all the curtain, the curtain of human history will close and every man, woman, and child will stand before you. And we, your people, those found in Jesus Christ, having been acquitted already, there is no condemnation for us now in Christ Jesus, for we have the very righteousness of Jesus. Lord, will be acquitted on that day, vindicated as it were by the tribunal, before the tribunal of the living God. We would pray this day, Father, that you would stir us up by reminder of these great things, the great day of judgment, that we might throw off all that hinders, all that would ensnare us and cause us to stumble, all those things, all the, the glitter, the fool's goal that we see in Vanity Fair all around us, and we would put it to death and follow hard and fast after Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, may your spirit work to will within us what is good and pleasing in your sight. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.